Well, good morning again. It's good to see you all. Thanks so much for gathering here this morning. Thank you for bringing the church into uh, this space. And for those of you that are gathered for Crosspoint at home, thanks for bringing the church into your living room, dining room, wherever you happen to be uh, watching from. My name is Jamie. It's my joy and privilege to be one of the pastors here at Crosspoint. And it's my joy to open up God's word with you all uh, this morning as uh, not only do we continue, but we actually wrap up our series that we've been doing uh, all together this fall called Restore My Soul. Uh, we will launch into our Advent series next week, all right? So Advent's exciting times for sure. Um, and there's like free permission now to like decorate. I know some of you have been doing that early, but um, uh, we are now getting to that season, which is awesome. But a couple things as we get into things this morning. I want to put a number before you. $14.6 billion. Our church budget next year. No, um, <laughs> 14 point, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's pass the basket again and again. All right, anyway. Um, no, $14.6 billion was the amount spent by Americans in 2021 on some form of cosmetic surgery. Um, and, and I don't mean that in any sort of condemning, judging. I, I, what, what I was struck by, though, in just seeing that, that number is it, it begs some questions, I believe, um, some questions I think that plague us as just a culture, and if you're like, well, I've never had cosmetic surgery, therefore I'm in the clear. Like, no, no, no. Like, the, the point is this. It's less about the surgery, and it's, it's literally more about, like, what drives and motivates us as human beings? Like, I think it speaks to something about the, this sense, as the, the writer of Ecclesiastes speaks of in Ecclesiastes 3, that God has made everything beautiful in its time, but then this line here, he has put eternity into man's heart. That there is this sense that, man, we don't always live as if we know where the story is heading. And that's true not only for those that are outside of the church, but even in the church. I think we forget this story that we've been caught up in, the story we've been invited in, into. And there's this pressure, I think, that we feel that we have to maximize. Like, we've got to double down on the right here and right now because this is the only shot we've got. And even as Christians, we might say, yeah, I know I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And yeah, I don't know that that truth permeates your life and my life the way that it's intended to in order to like change even like how we view our time right here. Like I think there's this pressure, all right, that we as human beings feel to almost like maximize our youth. And so when you think about surgeries that are done or just all that it, that is spent on just the outward appearance at times, I think it reveals something about, man, we are not comfortable thinking about the reality of death. So welcome to church. Let's talk about death, right? But like, do we ever think about these things? Do we consider these matters? Each week, we've been looking at a particular truth that we need to grab a hold of so that our souls might be restored. And this morning, we're going to look at this truth that you and I, if we're in Christ, will be glorified. And there's this work that God promises that he's going to do. And yet I think there's this pressure. And I'm not anti, obviously, like, you should eat your vegetables and exercise and do those things. And we are called to be good stewards of our body. The calling isn't like, well, Jesus is going to restore it all in the end so I can do whatever I want. There is a call to stewardship. But I also think sometimes there's this pressure that we feel like, man, we, all we have is this time and this place. And so I've got to be as youthful as I possibly can. I've got to look a certain way. 
I saw a trailer for a new uh, uh, kind of a docu-series um, that Chris Hemsworth is in. I don't know if you have seen this yet. It, I think it's just come out or about to come out on, on Disney Plus called The Limitless, all right? Um, and if you can read it up there, live better longer is sort of the, the tagline of this. And so this particular actor who is well-known, he's in really good, good shape. You know, they were deciding between me and him for the star of this series. Um, but um, he sets out to do all these incredible things in hopes that as his body learns how to adjust to stress, like literally being like 900 feet above like this canyon and like scaling to these heights or a certain amount of time spent underwater, like all these incredible things like literally swimming and surfing and like in the Arctic temperatures, that, that sort of thing. That there's this sense of which, okay, how can I maximize what is right here, right now? How can I train my body so that I can live better longer? Which is not a bad desire. We should all desire that. But there's a futility to it, isn't there? Because as Ecclesiastes tell us, tells us, there's this sense of eternity in the human heart. And because we don't always know what to do with that, I think we double down on the things right here, right now, and we miss out on the promises of God. That we have all of these attempts where we think, I gotta control the story. I've gotta maximize. And what if God this morning is saying, I wanna free you up. He's not freeing you from ever eating spinach again. That's not what I'm saying. But he's freeing you up in that Regardless of what happens, there is a story of how this story like continues, that there's this truth that you in Christ will be glorified. And if you're not in Christ, like anyone can get in on this, that you have a story that ends in your body, all of who you are being glorified, being restored, being renewed. And that truth is actually really good for our soul. Not because we are disembodied souls or that the soul and the body don't go together, but this sense of, oh, in suffering, in pain, in the inevitable, right? Because death, my friends, is batting a thousand. That's the reality, right? No one gets to escape it. And so how does the truth of what the Bible talks about inform, not just often in the future someday that we might not want to think about, but right here and right now? And so I want to dive into this as the kind of the last truth that we're going to look at as part of this series. You will be glorified. And there's this mindset, I think, that we want to move from the lie is that, well, when you die, you're gone forever. We want to move from this gone forever to glorified forever. Like that's what the Bible teaches so I want you to be able to follow along. I would invite you to take out your Bibles if you've got them um, and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, where we'll spend most of our, our time. But you can also go to thisiscp.church. Uh, we have a new web URL, all right? Uh, but thisiscp.church. That'll bring up the homepage in the lower right corner. You'll see that little foot symbol. If you click that, there's a spot to navigate to our sermon notes. Everything that's on the slides, including the text this morning, will be there. So... You will be glorified. How does this truth shape your life, my life, forever? All right? And so I want to look this morning at this promise of glorification that we'll look briefly at a verse out of Romans chapter 8, and then we'll get into this picture of glorification. How should we understand these things? What does the Bible actually have to say? And 1 Corinthians 15 is one of the best places in all of the scriptures to go to talk about this. And in that, we'll conclude with the provision that is made for our glorification. But first, a promise, all right? There is a promise of glorification that if you're in Christ, this world, this time, this place, 
The things that happen here don't have the final say. All right, Romans chapter eight, verse 30 says this, and those whom he predestined, like there's this laying out of sort of this chain of salvation, of like how this goes. And this all, what we have to see is God is the active agent. So it's telling us like he predestined us, all right? He's the one who called and those whom he called, he also justified. I'll explain that term in a moment. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And as Paul has been writing in Romans chapter 8, there's a context that just is dealing with the groanings, the longings of this world, that we feel that things aren't quite right. We've got this sense of the eternal in our hearts, and we don't know what to do with that, so we just clamor for the things that are right here, right now, maybe just to help us make sense or to cope with things. But there's a promise, friends, that not only will you be justified through the work of Christ, like you will be glorified. So just a helpful way to think about those terms, these theological terms, all right? To be justified means that you have been set free from the penalty of sin, meaning you and I deserve to be punished for our sin, our rebellion against God, and Jesus was punished in your place. So you are freed from the penalty because Jesus paid the penalty, and it's once and for all, and there's no other sacrifice that's needed. And then there's this ongoing work right now of sanctification where God, through This Holy Spirit is making you, forming you more into the image and likeness of Christ. And so we're saved from the the power of sin. Sin doesn't have the stronghold on you if you're in Christ that it once did. And yet, there is this sense where we're also like, it doesn't have the same power, but I still do mess up and all this. And so there's this promise of one day glorification where you and I are saved, rescued from the very presence of sin. And we are fully known and we fully experience the presence of God. So friends, that's where the story is heading. And in the midst of pain and struggle and all the things, this truth is what we need to rest in. So there's that promise. Now let's look at what I think is one of the best places in all of the scriptures to see a picture of glorification. And so I want to read in sections, 1 Corinthians 15, the entire chapter is just amazing Take some time during Thanksgiving week, all right? Like, read all of it. But for the sake of time, I want to just spend the bulk of our time. We'll be in 35 to 44, and then 45 to 50. We'll look at this, these particular portions. So let me read these opening verses of the section we'll be in. So pick it up in verse 35. Paul writes these words. Remember, there's a context for this. He's writing to a group of people in a real city called Corinth. It's influential. It's upwardly mobile. It's got a, a lot of. It's got a lot of influence. Got a lot of power. It's a desirable place to be. Um, and yet they've got lots of questions, things they're misunderstanding. Some are even beginning to deny the resurrection of Jesus. They're confused by it. And so Paul, as a good pastor, theologian. <coughs> writes this letter to say, hey, let me do some corrective work, not to condemn you, but because I want you to live more fully into what Jesus has for you. And so he says in verse 35, he writes these words under the inspiration of the Spirit. He says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And then Paul says, you foolish person, which doesn't seem at first like he's welcoming questions, right? Like if you raise your hand in class, like I got a question, you foolish person, that'd be very traumatizing. Like I will never raise my hand ever again. That's not what's happening here. You have to see the context is a group of people being like, all right, they're influenced by Greek thought. That would have said the soul matters, not the body. 
And so they're saying, well, how are the dead raised? They're like, that's ridiculous. That can't happen. Have you ever looked inside of a tomb, Paul? Right? Like, it, the body just decays. Like, what are you talking about? That's what he's calling out as foolish. He's like, no, God cares about it all. God created your body. He declared that it was good. And so you got to understand where this story is heading. And so he says, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, he says, all right, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There was one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. Verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, and what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power, it is sown a natural body, and it is raised a spiritual body. And if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So this is God's word for us this morning. Let's look at this. What is the picture that Paul is painting for this group of people a couple thousand years ago? And what does it have to do with your life and my life right here? So I want to start by looking at something at one level I would say is a familiar picture. And then we'll look at some aspects of this because it gets kind of wordy and feels like it's kind of jumping around to different images, things that are maybe a bit more foreign to us. But at one level, all right, in these opening verses here, it's, I would say there's a familiar picture. A familiar picture in that Paul is using like agricultural language. He's talking about a planting of seeds. He's talking about a kernel like the, of wheat or whatever going into the ground. That there's something Paul is saying that God has set up in the very cosmos, in like just all of creation, and that it's, if it's true of seeds that go into the ground that are not made in the image and likeness of God, and new life bursts forth out of the dirt, oh, might there be something that he's going to do in your life that if we rightly understood it would just cause us to marvel to no end. That's what Paul is doing. He's borrowing language. Now, listen, maybe you're really good at gardening, and so right away this resonates with you, or maybe you grew up on a farm, all right? Um, maybe there's things that you're familiar with, or maybe you're like me who has no ability in any of these things, doesn't understand any of it, was given a, a plant about a month ago, and within like a week I'd killed it, right? Like, that's, that's who I am, all right? Um, but even in that, I think I understand just generally there's this familiarity with this idea. And so Paul begins to lay out for them. He begins to speak of seeds. What do they, they teach us? And so we know this, right? Seeds get put into the ground. A number of years ago, my kids, my daughters were, were much younger. Um, uh, their mom organized this, this project because, like I said, I'm no good at gardening or anything. Um, and she knew if I tried to build like a garden box in our yard, for one, it probably would never happen. Um, I'd be like, sure, I'll get to that. And then at another level, um, I don't know that I would have been able to even do it. And so a little school and church down the road from where we lived, um, you could pay to have like a garden box, all right? And so maybe some of you guys have done this sort of thing before. And so my kids, when they were much, much younger, went with my wife, Heather, and they put the seeds into the ground. And they would go and they'd water them and they'd tend to them and they'd stop by. And if you've done this before, you know that the seed goes into the ground, you cover it with the dirt, and then you just wait. 
What Paul is communicating is there's an aspect, right? And we're in this, this waiting period. And then you have that moment, right? We're like, oh, there's growth and there's life. Like I found some of the old pictures of, you know, from a number of years ago. And it's like, if you can see in the upper left, my younger daughter, I mean, sort of like this, look what I've made, right? Like it's just like this marveling and just like mind-blowing thing of like, I put this seed in the ground and now there's all this stuff that is bursting forth. There's this new life. There's vegetables that we've grown. I might not even like it, but I'll probably eat it because it's like, wow, like we were part of this. And so you see them holding this, like, isn't this amazing? And there's sort of this, this joy, there's this marveling, right? And if that's true of putting just a little kernel, a little seed into the ground, what Paul is saying, oh, friends, you have no idea what is coming for you. You don't know how good it's going to be. And so what he communicates is first and foremost, in all of this, God is the active agent, all right? So they begin to ask these questions, like we all have, we all do wonder, like, what happens in heaven, new heavens, new earth, glorification, resurrection? Like, what does this all look like? Will heaven be as boring as I sometimes think it's going to be? We'll deal with that in a moment, right? Um, but Paul then begins to lay it out. What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other kind of grain. And then it tells us, but God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. God is doing this work. And the principle built into the, the very just sort of fabric of the universe is this. There's a resurrection principle that something goes into the ground. The seed must go into the ground and it must die. And when it looks like nothing is going to happen and you just look at that dirt and think, I guess this is all there is, there comes this moment, this sort of unexpected moment, as 1 Corinthians 15 even says a little bit later, and like in this mystery, like the, the twinkling of an eye, like there's suddenly this boom, there's this new life bursting forth right in the midst of this world. And so this resurrection principle, what has been true and what is true of Jesus, and if you're in Christ, will be true of you, that death will not have the final say that you don't have to clamor and grasp for all the things of this world, but you can be at peace knowing there's so much more that awaits you. This is why Jesus would say these words in John chapter 12, verse 24, truly, truly. Now, we should always pay attention to what Jesus says. But in particular, when he's like, truly, truly, he's like grabbing us by the shoulder saying, pay attention to this, do not miss this. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat, what? Falls into the earth and dies... It remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. It's this principle of resurrection that's built into everything. And so what is true of a seed, Paul is saying, is going to be true of you and me. And he says each to its own kind. He's also saying this, right? Like if you put a seed into the ground for, let's, let's say, a cucumber, right? It doesn't come out as a pumpkin, all right? At least it shouldn't. Um, it's like each to its own kind. And so there's this interesting aspect to your life and my life that there's going to be this continuity. It's not that you're going to be so new and unrecognizable, because when Jesus showed up, when he was resurrected, he is recognizable, and he does normal things, continuous with what he did here, like he ate some fish, and then apparently he could also walk through walls. So there's like this continuity and discontinuity. So there's going to be this transformation, but it will be of you of the unique 
Ness of you that God designed, that God knit together in your mother's womb. It's not like you coming back, like I'm like, hey, I don't think I, I come back necessarily with LeBron James basketball skills, right? That might, might be kind of disappointing if you have hopes and aspirations, right? But it, here's the reality. You will be transformed. And it's going to be good and it'll be forever. There's a quote I've always liked. I've shared this a few years ago by an author named Andy Wilson. And he talks about a habit, a ritual that he, he disciplines himself to go and do when he takes a lunch break. And oftentimes he will... He will pack himself a lunch, and then he will walk to a nearby cemetery, to a nearby graveyard, which is like, dude, this guy, this guy needs some friends, man. Like, what's he doing, right? I mean, it just seems a little odd, like, to go eat your lunch in the cemetery. But he has this profound insight. Because if you've ever visited a graveyard or a cemetery, right, there's some aspects that sort of mimic even what we do with planting of a field where there's these rows of the seeds. And he's like, you look out. And there's just the rows and rows with the headstones, right, with the, the grave sites that are put there. And so here's what he comments on. He says this. He says, I'm eating my lunch in a graveyard. Human seeds have been planted in neat little rows. Stone stakes label the crop. Which I think is a fascinating perspective. In the same way that a garden might have a little stake there that says, well, this is a tomato plant or this is a cucumber or whatever, right? Have you thought about it that way? That for those that are in Christ, the story doesn't end with a body put there into the ground, but rather it's like a seed that has been planted and it's going to burst forth one day. And what is written there on the tombstone that says this person's name and the years that they lived is like that little crop stake that says, ah, here's my image bearer. Here's the one that I'm going to renew, restore. Here's the one that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to glorify them. Like he's going to bring this glorification. He's going to bring this renewal. He's going to make everything new, including your body. You will not be a disembodied soul just floating around. How encouraging is this? And then Paul, as he talks about seeds, he also spends some time talking about various settings. And this is the He's talking about an environment where he says, God gives a body, each seed, kind of seed to its own body, all right? And then it says, for all flesh is, uh, for not all flesh is the same. There's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. What is he getting at? Paul is saying there's a particular environment. And the new you that's going to be made and transformed, it's not meant, it cannot inhabit this broken world. He's getting you ready for your new home, the new heavens, the new earth. He's got things especially prepared for you. And we'll talk more in a moment about what that looks like. But just know this, this is how our God is at work. And so he uses some familiar imagery, but he also uses some things I would say that there's something that we don't quite comprehend. It seems a bit foreign to us. Look with me back at verses 42 to 44. He begins to lay out and he uses these descriptions. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. I mean, do you hear sort of like the, the rhythm, the cadence of this, the way he's describing it, right? There's the perishable, but then it's imperishable. Like everything we know, even the good things eventually come to an end, but not this. It is Im imperishable. 
everything you know, everything about you, eventually it does disintegrate, right? And yet, he's saying, oh no, not so with your glorified body, your resurrected body. It's going to be raised to this imperishable state. And there's things about us that are dishonorable, things where we carry shame. And friends, all of that is going to be brought to glory. You will be in the presence of God. You will be completely known. This is Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 and 2, naked and not ashamed, walking with the Lord. That's where your story is heading. The stuff you carry right now, the shame, the things that have been done to you, the things you've done to others, all of that, like it's going to all, in the end, be wiped away and there'll be this new glory that you have. And we feel this as well. He says, it's sown like in weakness, but it's raised in power. Like my plan this afternoon is to go to Warby Parker uh, this afternoon because I got reading glasses back in March and I went in about two weeks ago and I was like, hey, doc, um, things are getting more blurry, all right? Um, and so now I have to get some other type of glasses. So I expect in the next couple of weeks, you will actually see me. I have my reading glasses up here, but then if I put them on and look at it, you're all like blurry and I think I'd get all disoriented. So I'm like, I don't know if I'm gonna use that. So I'm just struggling to read right now. What is that? That's the body breaking down, right? Like welcome to your late 40s, all right? So in this, it's like, we get it. Like there's a weakness, but there's gonna be this power that comes, God renewing everything. And then he says this, there's this natural body that's raised to a spiritual body. And many people through the years have misunderstood that, misinterpreted that to think, oh yeah, the spiritual. Yep, that refers to almost this sense of a disembodied spirit. That's not what it means. It's speaking of what fuels us. The idea here is the natural body, right? What it's animated by. So often it's just, it's the flesh, it's our own strength, it's all of these things, but in the resurrection, the state of glorification, you and I will get a spiritual body that is animated by the very presence of God. God's spirit is what will fuel you, will drive you, and it goes on forever. Do you recognize that? Do you know that? I love the way C.S. Lewis speaks of the reality of where things are heading for us. And as he speaks of interactions with other people, he's like, oh, if you could see right now your fellow church member, your fellow brother, sister in Christ, like if you could see where they are, he's like, you would actually be tempted. If you could see what was going to take place in their life, you'd be tempted to worship them. That's how transformative this is going to be. He says in The Weight of Glory, he says, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which that if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Like there's a level of transformation that we can't possibly comprehend. And so before we look in closing at just what makes, like how can this actually be true? What's the provision for this? Can we talk just for a moment, I think about some misconceptions. I mentioned it a few moments ago, but I think for the longest time, there was this, this thought of like, even when you talk about these ideas, heaven, resurrection, the glorified body, all of that can be this tendency to think, man, like I remember as a young kid, just being like, that sounds 
terrible, <laughs> right? And I don't think I'm supposed to say that in church, all right? Uh, and so, but just this idea, because what was in my mind was sort of like, all right, welcome. Here's your harp. We've issued you this. Here's your cloud, all right? You'll float along and you'll just sing worship songs to Jesus all day while you're strumming your harp. And as my favorite professor in seminary once said, that, friends, does not sound like heaven. That sounds like hell, right? Um, and I think he's spot on about that. Like, is that really the picture there? If God is renewing and restoring everything, isn't it going to be closer to what we see in Genesis 1 and 2 as far as how God originally set things up? And so in his wonderful book, Surprised by Hope, N.T. Wright speaks of this. Hear this. I think it's so helpful to do some corrective work on some of our misconceptions. Why will we be given new bodies? According to the early Christians, the purpose of this new body will be to rule wisely over God's new world. So forget those images about lounging around playing harps. There will be work to do, and we shall relish doing it. And all the skills and talents we have put to God's service in this present life. And then I love this line. And perhaps, too, the interests and likings we have given up because they conflicted with our vocation will be enhanced and ennobled and given back to us to be exercised to his glory. This is perhaps the most mysterious and least explored aspect of the resurrection life. I love that. You will have a renewed body and you will have work to do. The storyline of the scriptures, remember this, friends, it was never, all right, you sinned, you messed up, you got to go get a job now. It's going to be toil. No, no, work existed before the fall. Work was part of God's good creation. So Pastor Eric preached on last week, like we forever will have the opportunity to take all these raw materials. We get to be restored to being sub-rulers under the ultimate ruler that is Jesus, right? And we get to use our creativity, and we will no longer be trying to fix things that are broken. So some of us are going to have to get new jobs, like this guy on stage, right? No one needs me preaching in the new heavens and new earth. There's no sin. There's no call to repentance, right? Like, so, but hear this. We will have good work to do. We get to use our talents, our creativity. And I love this line. Let me read it one more time. He says, all the talents that we put to God's service in the present life, and then perhaps to the interests and likings we have given up because they conflicted with our vocation. Meaning some of you right now, in order to pay the bills and to do the things that you need to do or to take care of your children, you have given up things. There are things that you have interest in that you've not been able to do in this time and in this place, and it can feel incredibly frustrating. I'm sure if we could sit down and talk, there are hopes and dreams and aspirations of what your vocation would be, what your relationships would look like, the places you would travel, the things that you would get to do. And I think in every year that goes on, I think something I'm becoming increasingly aware of is like the clock is ticking. And I'm like, I'm probably not going to get to do some of those things. And that used to be incredibly despairing until this truth comes home. And suddenly I'm freed up, man. I've got forever to enjoy the presence of God, the world that he has created, and all the things that I'm going to get to do, all the new things I'm going to get to explore. 
So do you see how that benefits? Like that mindset that you will be glorified, resting in that truth, it fuels right here and right now. Because now you are freed up to love and serve people, even at great cost to yourself. You might not get to do the things that you want to do. You may not be appreciated for the things that you give up, but know that there's a God who sees you, that nothing goes unnoticed by him. And he is saying, friend, I'm going to renew and restore everything, including you and all of your talents and your interests and things you haven't even considered before are now before you. So if you feel trapped and you feel stuck and you're like, man, I don't know, I just, oh, I don't know if I can endure this. Think of the words of Paul, who speaks of this suffering, the wasting away of our bodies, things. He's like, it's a light and momentary affliction, which is an incredibly offensive thing to say to somebody who's suffering, unless what is on the other side of it is so profoundly beautiful that he could say it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory you're going to have that forever. And so right now, you are freed up. You can love and you can serve and you can, even at times, you won't be appreciated. There'll be things you long to do. And guess what? Just know that there is something coming for you that will make this time right here, right now, feel like this light and momentary, like, hey, what was that thing again? Because of what awaits. And so if that's the picture, I'll close with this. How do we get in on this? How is this possible? I love what Paul does here. Look with me at verses 45 to 50. Paul writes, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And then Paul writes these words. He says this, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. God, in his kindness and grace, doesn't make... It doesn't give us like this picture of glorification and then kind of say, well, hope you attain it. But rather, he enters into our story. This is what literally, I mean, like next week, we enter into the Advent season. What is it? It's a time to celebrate and to remember the first coming, the first arrival of Jesus and the longing and the hope for what we're banking on, the promised return of Jesus, the second Advent where he's going to set everything right? The provision, my friends, is Jesus. And what Paul is doing here, do you notice this language? He's saying, there was a first Adam. He was our federal head, the first human being. And guess what? He sinned and he rebelled. He committed treason. And every single person from this time forward has a massive sin problem that leads to death. We are all born in iniquity. Like that's the reality. And we can't do anything on our own. But God in his kindness, all the way back, even when curses are being pronounced in Genesis 3 says, hold on, friends. One day I will send one who will come and will crush the head of the serpent. And so what we are celebrating, what we bank on, 
What is the provision here is that there was a second Adam, the last Adam, that was Jesus that showed up. This is why Paul, just a few verses earlier, same chapter, chapter 15 says this, for as by a man came death, he's speaking of Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. If you are in Christ, that's your story. This is what has been secured for you, that you used to be in Adam. And that leads to death. But now you are in Christ. And if you've not trusted in the finished work of Jesus, if you want in on this this promised glorification, it is simply recognizing you cannot attain this on your own. Will you repent and will you trust in Jesus who died to pay the penalty for your sin and your rebellion? And know that then this is the life you are brought into. And so as we close... Not only this message this morning, but this series. Let me read to you one last thing by a pastor, a theologian named Stephen Um, who wrote a commentary on the book of 1 Corinthians. And in this particular chapter, I love the way he summarizes this. So I will read this and then pray for us and give some instructions about how we're going to continue in our service this morning. But hear these words and be encouraged. He says, the man of heaven took on a body of dust in order that people who are made of dust might take on a heavenly body. He became like a grain of wheat buried in the ground, but counterintuitively transformed to bear much fruit. The imperishable became perishable, that the perishable might become imperishable. Jesus, the glorious one, experienced dishonor so that the dishonorable might experience glory. Jesus, the powerful one, became weak so that the weak might become powerful. Jesus, who deserved life, experienced death so that those who deserved death might experience new life. Jesus, the man of heaven, made himself a son of man, a man of the earth, so that the sons of Adam, men of the earth, might become men of heaven. This is what we're invited into. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy, your kindness, your grace. We thank you, Jesus, for coming on this rescue mission for us. Thank you that you became perishable, that you became dishonored, that you became weak so that we could become imperishable, that we could have glorified new bodies that we might live in the strength that is provided through you. So we thank you for this new life that we are invited into. We repent of the ways that we've tried to make the story about just the right here and the right now. I pray that you might help us better understand the story that we're part of, so that we might be freed to love and to serve our neighbor, that we might not be so consumed about maximizing everything in this life, thinking the story is all about us and this is all the time we have. May we see that this is just a tiny blip on the radar and that we get to spend forever with you. God, I pray for any who have not trusted in your grace, this free gift. I pray that today is the day that they go from death to life. God, would you be drawing men, women, and children to you? 
that we might see more people brought into this state of glorification so that they might give you the glory and praise that you deserve and that we as your people might experience just joy forever. God, we thank you that we get to experience that right here, right now. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.